us, wherever you are. If you're joining us here in Santa Barbara, California on the television, uh, we welcome you at TVSB. And so many of you are joining us from all over the world at goodlifetelevision.org and uh, other social media platforms. Um, you can also find us if you're a podcast person at all the podcast platforms at Good Life Conversations. Uh, I'd love to have you join us. And then there's a, a YouTube channel, which we've kicked off uh, in the last year. And we'd love you to go and check that out. That has actually all the long-form interviews plus what we call power clips. We break them up into some of the great moments. And you'll find a lot of interesting, wonderful people there, uh, all walks of life, overcomers, entrepreneurs, public servants, people of faith, young people, people with great stories. It's been amazing for us. And so we're, we're so grateful that you're joining us uh, from, from wherever you may be joining us. So thank you. Uh, we even have a Twitter account, by the way. I know some people call Twitter a sewer, but we call it home. So find us. Good life. That, that might be one of the only good things you find at Twitter, actually, is the Good Life TV uh, Twitter account. So find us there. Uh, and, and we think you're really going to enjoy it. Again, it, you know, good life is about the good stuff. And, and we're highlighting great stories uh, from, from people. And it's just been such an honor for us uh, to do it. I, every time I sit down here with my guest, I'm grateful. I'm especially grateful today uh, for Sister Arthur. Sister, welcome. Thank you. Thank it's great you. to have you. Thank you. Nice I'm, to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I, I read a little bit about your story, but I kind of wanted to start further back. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. My upbringing. Well, I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. Okay. I entered the Daughters of Charity in 1960. 1960. In, uh -huh, in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I am a nurse by profession. Um, and I've worked in healthcare most of my life. Uh, in our hospitals, and I spent 11 years in Africa. Really? And then, and I worked in healthcare in Africa as well. And then uh, I came back to the United States, and I uh, was in Utah, <clears throat> and then I came to Santa Barbara. What? Uh, for I don't know anything about this. How does it work? In 1960. You joined the Daughters of Charity. How do you find out about it? How do you, what was that process like mm -hmm. of you deciding this is what I'm mm -hmm. going to do? Well, I knew, um, I, I, I was in Catholic schools since I was in kindergarten. And uh, when I was in high school, I had, um, I had this feeling inside that I was being called to, to give my life to the Lord in service. Uh, but I wanted to work primarily with the poor. And I was taught by sisters who were teachers, were nurses in hospitals, but I wanted to work with the poor. And I <clears throat> had learned about, I didn't know the Daughters Charity, but I had heard about them, that that's exactly what they do. They're in everything, social work, teaching, hospitals, but they always worked with the poor. So. I got the courage up to call one day where they were and say, I think I'm interested. And I came and talked to them and uh, rest of sister. Well, they told me right away, they said, well, you need to think about this, pray about it, get back to me in a, a month. And if you still feel this way, then we'll make the arrangements. And then 
that's all rest is history. <laughs> wow. So is, so is this something like people that join it, it's life? Yes. Um, we take, actually our community is um, a little unique in that um, we're called a Society of Apostolic Life. So when we were founded by St. Vincent de Paul in the 17th century, he, he had no idea about finding a religious community. What he wanted was to have um, women, young Christian Catholic women, to come and help with the, the poor in Paris at the time, which was just awful. I mean, if you saw the movie or the play Les Miserables, that's what the situation was like. And St. Vincent de Paul was just obsessed with caring for the poor. And so he wanted to get um, women uh, to come into the city to help do that. And he had some of the wealthy women uh, care for them because these were country girls coming in. And uh, pretty soon um, they lived together and they would pray together and they'd go out in the morning and do whatever they were going to do, either to deliver food to the people uh, and medicines or, or go to work in the um, prisons or in the, with the galley slaves. And um, pretty soon they were forming like a religious community. And so he was very concerned because there were no religious communities at that time where the sisters went out on the streets and took care of the people. They were all cloistered. So he was very concerned that they would not get put into a cloister. So he didn't want any, um, what shall I say, uh, language or trappings that would identify the women with religious. So they wore the dress of the day. And where they lived, they called their house, not a convent. And um, they came under St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, he was like their, the, the head that was over them. And the person who was in charge, of the sister who would be in charge of the local house, was not called a superior. She was called a sister servant, because she was to be the servant of her sisters. Mm. So, and they didn't take vows at the beginning. Then they took vows. And most religious take vows of poverty, chastity, obedience. And we take a fourth vow of service to the poor. So every work we do, we have to be with the poor. And so that's the way it is today. You know, we just wear our simple skirts and blouses with a, you know, our insignia that we are Catholic and we're Vincentians. And we call where we live houses. We call the um, person who's in charge of our house a sister servant. And we all take vows, uh, the fourth vows, and they're renewed every year. Oh, really? So, for example, with religious, most religious communities, they take vows temporarily for one year, three years, five years, and then for the rest of their life. We take uh, vows for the first time with the intention that we would keep them for the rest of our lives, but legally they're one year at a time. So when we make the vow, it's for one year, and every year we formally ask to renew our vows. So if a sister felt for one reason or another that she needed, could no longer do this life, she could do that. She would just make that known and could go. Hmm. What is the, t tell me about the vows. Like why the vows? Well, it's a commitment to the Lord. That's what it is, because that's, that's what our life is about 
It's all yeah. about that. Yeah. It's not just being a nurse, because I am a nurse by right. profession, but it's not just being a nurse or a teacher, but it's a nurse in service of the Lord. So we've given our lives to Him in the service of the church. So, and that's the way we do it. Like when you get married, you make a vow. Yeah. When you get married, it's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. And it, and it, it must simplify your life. It does, yes. I mean, in terms of having that clarity about here's, mm -hmm. here's what it is, here's what I'm called to. That's right. I mean, is that part of it? Yes. For you? you know, as we're called to live simply. Yeah. Um, not in destitution, but we live simply. Yeah. It means that you go wherever you're needed. And um, that can be a challenge at times because you can be at, in a mission that you absolutely love and doing a wonderful job. But if they felt that you're needed someplace else, then you're called and you say, yes, okay, I will go. Wow. And uh, there's always a blessing in that, yeah. you know. It's an adventure, too. It was an adventure. Yes, yeah. exactly. What was Africa like? Africa was, it was like a gift in my life. Um, I, I went for the first time in uh, 92 and I went to Sierra Leone and I was in a hospital there and I taught uh, nurse aides and nurse aides acted like LVNs and LVNs acted like RNs and RNs acted like doctors <laughs> um, and I lived in the country in the bush and it was it was wonderful the people were wonderful unfortunately my time there was cut short because we had um, we had a, a war that went on and uh, our village was attacked and we had to leave. So um, and at that time it was one of the poorest countries in um, the Western Hemisphere. But it was uh, also a wonderful experience. So I was home just for a brief time and this a new mission opened up sponsored by the British, uh, the Irish sisters' daughters. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew it was a hospital as well, and so I volunteered uh, to go there. And again, I uh, worked in a hospital in the bush. <laughs> and it was after a 30-year war that had ended when the Portuguese had, had taken over and the Cubans had been there in Russia, and finally the war ended. but. The, the, the country was left like in turmoil. But we went in because there were Doctors Without Borders who were there in this hospital. And they go temporarily and then they move on. And so they were telling uh, Catholic Relief Services that you need to keep this hospital here because it's the only thing you have, but they had to leave. So we, our community was asked if we would go. So we went and we worked with Catholic Relief Services and uh, we worked with uh, the country to reestablish. Our idea was to, um, and what we were asked to do is to reestablish, get the hospital up functioning again, and to train the local staff, which we did. We were able to train 30 nurses to, to stay and take over. And um, then it was time for us to leave. And then um, I was home for about a year or so, and then Kenya came up and I was asked, I, I went to Kenya. It was completely different because it was a big city you know, compared to the bush. But uh, there I was asked to help um, 
set up a comprehensive health care center for people living with HIV AIDS for adults and children. Wow. So that's what we did. And, uh, and I came home um, about six years ago. Wow, to so Utah. I came home to Utah. <laughs> that was a big surprise to go because I wasn't doing health care then. I was asked to take over um, a center that was in a very poor area in Ogden. And it was about 98% Hispanic, low-income women. Um, to teach them um, work, workable skills. Most of them were just hidden in their houses all the time. So it was to get them out, to teach them sewing, um, English as a second language, computers, and to start, we had a, an after-school program for their children because they couldn't help their kids with homework. Wow. So that was a, a wonderful experience well as well. And then I was asked to come here to Santa Barbara. Wow. So well, this has been a journey. It has been a journey, but it's an exciting journey, too. <laughs> I'm with uh, Sister Arthur of St. Vincent's here in Santa Barbara, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I, so I always think about this when I think about people that have committed their life. 63 years, the Daughters of Charity. <laughs> I think it's going to stick. <laughs> I think so at this point in time. <laughs> I think you're in. You know, when, when, when you're serving the poor, in the scripture it talks about you're, you're actually serving Jesus himself. Yes, exactly. Do you think about that very often? I do. I do because, well, it's in all of our prayers, it's in all of our readings, it's what we, it's just like ingrained in us, it's in our blood, you know. And uh, I think it comes mostly... It comes to the head mostly when we're faced with somebody who's not easy to, yeah. to deal with. And I remember St. Vincent um, saying in his writings, he was, he was talking to the sisters, and he said, you know, the, the more um, revulsive people, somebody might appear, the more um, unresponsive and negative they may be, that's the one you need to love the most. Mm. So I see that often with working with the homeless. You know, sometimes you can get somebody who is like, mm, or very mentally unstable, and then that's when you say, boy, this is it. Yeah, there it is. Reach out even more. You that's know? so powerful. Yeah. Loving the unlovable. Exactly. Well, you know what that is from your work. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... it's uh... I, I think it's in the scripture as well. You know, it's it's easy to love somebody who's, mm -hmm. you know, either there's something you're getting out of the mm -hmm. deal, or mm -hmm. there's, or it's just easy. Then if it's easy, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy. But that what you just said, mm -hmm. I mean, that that's where the rubber meets that's, the road in uh -huh. terms of why are we doing this? Yes, well, exactly. I'm, it's because I'm serving this person as if it was Jesus Himself, because exactly. it is, you know, in a way, in yeah. a sense. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's what. That's the wonderful gift about working with the homeless. You know, everybody thinks that, I shouldn't say everybody, but many people have the idea that homeless are drug addicts, alcoholics, they don't want to work, now, or they're all mentally ill. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have, that I've not had the opportunity to serve people who are alcoholics or drug addicts or mentally ill, but not everybody is. Every, 
people who are homeless all have their own stories. And that's the thing, it's more than just giving the food. What's the, what it is is sitting down next to them and say, tell me about how, tell me about your life, yeah. you know. And then you hear the real story, what has happened. And, and then how can, what can we do then to reach out to make, get them on another path, you know. So that's, that's, that's a great blessing to work with them. There are no throwaways. No throwaways. In the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we have, um, where, where I work at Father Virgil Cardano Center, we have a lot, we have many, many volunteers who work with us because there's only, uh, we have only have two paid staff and then myself and then one other sister. And I'm not there every day. I'm in and out every day, but not for, you know, the whole time that we're there. Um, but the volunteers are. We have a corps in the morning that prepares their breakfast, and we have a corps in the afternoon who prepares, prepares their lunch. And it's a different group every day. And they are the biggest advocates for the homeless because they know they've met them, and they know that everybody's not the same. And they've learned to treat them with great respect. And then they, you get respect back. Yeah. You know, when you treat somebody with respect, they treat, they treat you back. I can't tell you how many times when I'm there, I usually am there Monday mornings all the time, and when they go get ready to leave, they go, thank you. Everybody comes up and says, thank you. You know? It's another um, perspective that, I, that I've thought about on this, which is I think sometimes we think of the homeless as a category, right? Not, an in, not a person not John, not Mary, not, is a category. And then I think we can also think about them, these friends, as a problem to be solved or, or, or somebody that I need to change when that's not the spirit of what you're doing. No. The, the spirit is, this is a human being, here's a cup of cold water uh, in love yeah, exactly. as unto Jesus himself. There's no agenda, is there? No. It, no. Which I just think is so no. wonderful. Yeah, I'd love it's you God's to come. Job. I will. I will. <laughs> I would I love you to come. Because <laughs> I, I just think about that all the time. Because I, I think we can get so caught up in the, the results. What yeah. am I trying to achieve here? Yeah. When that's not really the that's not the, the mm -hmm. idea at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's not a number or a category or a problem to be solved. It's a person, and we want to love them. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, and the place they'll say it's just a place for them to come and rest. You know, many, many of them sleep outside yeah. or sleep in their cars. So they come inside and everybody knows their name. And we, we serve, yesterday we served 81 people. But we've learned, you learn people's names and they're yeah. welcomed as their names. So they feel like there's somebody, you know, and yeah. it's a place they, some can come just for breakfast, some come for supper, I mean for lunch, and uh, some stay all day. They can wash their clothes, uh, check for job search on the computer. Wow, so, what a wonderful thing. It is. How has it been at St. Vincent's? Oh, St. Vincent's is another thing, you know. We've been, the Daughters of Charity have been in service of the people, for the people of Santa Barbara for 165 years. We came in 1858. Um, at the request of the bishop, Catholic Bishop Thaddeus Amat to start an English-speaking school. The sisters came from Emmitsburg, Maryland, and they started the school. 
And uh, from there, they ended up um, having taken care of orphans, and they took care of orphans and educated orphans for 40-some years. Um, they, they went from that when uh, the Department of Social Services asked that children now go into foster homes, then the sisters helped them get into foster homes, and then they were asked, the sisters were asked by the Department of Social Service and Education to start a program for children, especially girls, who were um, developmentally challenged, mentally challenged. And so they developed a program for them that existed for over 58 years. And then, um, again, in about 1936, uh, the idea was that these children would be mainstreamed into regular public schools who had programs set up for them. So again, they helped the children. At one point, we had 160 girls, 14 sisters and 28 lay staff taking care of these oh young goodness. women. So, um, so then we, they were, they were um, uh, helped to mainstream into the public school system. Then we had, then we had to say, what are we going to do? Because the building that we had then, the big old building on El Camino Real, um, was still there. So we said, what is the, it's always the need is, what is the need of the poor? So it's been orphans, it's been um, education, but it was also always for the poor who didn't have anything. Uh, it was for the developmentally disabled. So what was the need now? And the biggest need that came up was housing. So they tore the whole building down and they worked to get, um, it took 10 years to um, get the permits and everything. But currently we have 75 um, low-income apartments for families, mm -hmm. two, three, four-bedroom apartments for low-income families. We have 95 one-bedroom apartments for low-income seniors. And we have four cottages that we um, help with our family strengthening program. And these are women who are in transition, some out of abuse programs, you know, situations and they can bring two children they can come pregnant um, and they can stay for 27 months and they have case managers that work with them and help them get jobs um, or get schooling if that's what the desire is they help them learn how to um, get a bank account and how to save money they do uh, parenting classes with them so at the end of 27 months they can get into housing. They have some money. Um, we also have a daycare center on our property, which we started in 1918 uh, as a result of World War I, when all the men were at war and the women wanted to go to help. They didn't have any place for their children. So the sisters started a daycare center, which was on Canon Perdido. And that wow. building is still there today. Wow. So. Um, the children, like these young women, if they're in school or working, their children can be in our daycare center. So that's on our 20-acre. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, we went for a tour a few weeks ago. Regina Ruiz is here. Oh, we got good. to go see. Uh, and it's so inspiring. I yeah. mean, it's so inspiring. And I love how, um, how 
I don't want to say evolved, but it's kind of the mission or the work has kind of changed with the times. You're right. You're based absolutely on what's right. What's going on? That's right. Which is so. That's great. what the need is about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's so great. And housing, which you're addressing now, is yeah. certainly a so huge problem. We have problem. long waiting lists to get on both. Yeah. You can imagine. It's yeah. a growing problem. Yeah, yeah. It is. So St. Vincent's is a wonderful thing. If you, if you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to go by. And it's, <laughs> again, it's 20 acres, is that? Uh -huh. 20 mm -hmm. acres, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Peace. Uh, it's, uh, and what, the way that they serve people is really mm -hmm. remarkable. And our homeless center is not on that right. ground. It's it's on Down the little the strip mall across upper 150 state. upper state. Yeah, right. so there's an upper state. There's a drop-in <laughs> center for these homeless friends, uh -huh. and they serve them there. And people can volunteer. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. They're yes. always looking for uh -huh. volunteers. So that's uh -huh. another that's another thing. Uh -huh. So as you reflect back on your life, would you just like offer a little reflection on on something you've learned or something you've um, that stands out, something about God, something about anything. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a broad one, but mm -hmm. I thought I'd give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think as I, as I look back, um, you know, I'm well educated. I was blessed, you know, that the community educated me. But, but we don't always, I, I, I don't go in, or none of us should go in with thinking we have all the answers that the poor can teach us a lot. People we serve can teach us a lot. And I, in little, little ways, I'll give you one example. When I was in Africa, especially when I was in Angola, I taught um, nurses, helped teach nurses. And I was in charge of pediatrics and I was getting ready to hire now these new graduates. And um, the young fellas always love to wear sunglasses with the, you know, the little thing that says made in Japan or something, <laughs> China. They, they thought this was like, I don't know, something cool. to wear the cool, right. So he came in and I know this young fellow, I knew he was a good nurse, he's gonna be a good nurse. And he came in with his sunglasses on and I said to him, Joao, you can't wear those sunglasses if you're gonna be working in pediatrics, you know, you have to work with the moms and be able to talk to them, explain to them what's going on with the child and give them instructions and they need to be able to see you. So you can't wear that. He said, okay, and he took it off and it, he didn't have one eye. He had lost one eye. Oh, and I said, goodness. what happened here? He said, I lost it in the war. All those young people had been in the war. But what it taught me, if I had said to him, Joel, how come you're wearing the glasses? Right, right. He would have said to me, oh, I lost my one eye. Do you think it would be okay? Yeah. I would have. So good. That's the way that's you just so le learn. You just learn. People Isn't that teach you. That's so true. We have a severely brain injured child and that I talk about just about every program because mm. she's taught me more maybe than any other person See? in my life. You know, this this little girl born with, you know, like a third of a brain who cerebral palsy was her diagnosis. Uh -huh. And like you think, it's unbelievable yeah. how much we learn from her. Yeah. And I, I think it's the same. That. And, you know, I thought about this. This, I don't know, this may sound a little strange, but I'll say it. You know, sometimes working with whatever these populations, marginalized or different, 
difficult people mm -hmm. or special needs people uh -huh. or mentally ill people, whatever it might be. One of our experiences with Ella Claire um, taught me a little bit about this because mm -hmm. we were at this institute's back east and there's all special needs people, okay? It's all mm -hmm. brain injured mm -hmm. people and their parents bring them. Like there's no handicapped parking places because we're all handicapped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we, when we were there, uh, we were learning about the brain and like, why do these kids drool, right? Like mm -hmm. who wants to drool? Well, it might be because they can't feel their, mm -hmm. their brain injuries affected mm -hmm. their sensation, right? Or why does an autistic kid yell and scream or thrash around, some of them beating their head against the wall? Well, we learned it's because sometimes their hearing is so sensitive, they can hear a TV when it's off. Or, ah. And so sounds, mm -hmm. it's like excruciating pain, right? Mm -hmm. So they behave in a way that's... And that, it hit me one day. I think sometimes we look at a symptom of a person and we get annoyed or bothered or judgmental mm -hmm. about the symptom when we don't think about is the injury yeah. mm -hmm. that they might have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about physical as mm -hmm. much as I am. Like, there's a reason why people behave the way they do. Mm -hmm. Like, with Ella Claire, one of the reasons she behaves the way she does is because she's injured. Mm -hmm. Well, we're all injured. Exactly. In some way. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. We're all broken in some way. We're yeah. all... But that helped me so much because I was going, gosh, this person bothers me. <laughs> what did, you know, or, or why do they do that? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's an injury I don't know about. Maybe it's the eye that the person doesn't have behind the mm -hmm. sunglasses. Mm -hmm. That's why he wears the sunglasses. That's right. And, exactly. and, and you and I can think, man, what a disrespectful yeah. person to come in here with sunglasses on. And you exactly. go, no, he's got an injury. Yeah. So I just think it's so, that's such a powerful thought yeah. you share. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a different perspective, mm -hmm. like a different way of seeing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. You know, I, one other thing, I, uh, I, you probably heard of Martin Sheen. I the have. actor, okay. So he came one time um, when I was at the hospital in, in um, Los Angeles, at St. Vincent's in Los Angeles, and he was talking to us. They were doing a filming, uh, but on the side, he he was talking to us, and he said um, he had a friend who was a priest who uh, was a parish priest, and um, he wrote this book, and he what he wrote about instances, uh, experiences, and he said he remembered one time. This woman came to Mass every day, and she had this young man with her every day. I think it was her son. And she went to communion, and he didn't. And he, the priest watched this all the time, all that. And finally, he said to her, I, I see you come to communion every day with your son, but he doesn't come with you. Why is it? And she said, oh, Father, he couldn't come. He's, he's mentally handicapped. He couldn't come. And he said, let me, let me talk with him, okay? Bring him and, and let me see. So he did. He met with him for a period of time, and he said to his mom, this, he understands. He understands what we're doing here. He understands what he's going to receive, who he's going to receive. So she said, okay. So he said, we're going to have him come whatever day it was, and we're just going to have him go up with everybody else. It's not going to be any big thing. So the day came. And he went up first. His mother was right behind him. He received Holy Communion. 
he broke it in half and turned to his mother and said the body of Christ and then and the priest said you think he didn't know oh. you see wow it's for all of us too but wow yeah so there's a lot of exactly what you're saying you know so what you're good. learning we yeah and you know the least among us you mm -hmm. know, but what a wonderful way to spend our lives yeah. As you've demonstrated, 63 years. <laughs> Such an honor to meet you. Thank you, same Thank here. You. If yeah. you haven't visited St. Vincent's, I'd encourage you to do that. Ask for Regina. She's our yes, friend. she's the best. She's the best one. <laughs> she's she, the best. Second best, maybe, Sister Arthur, I don't know. Uh, but they'd love to meet you, give you a tour. If you want to volunteer, if you want to give, if you want to, whatever. Just go see them. St. Vincent's here in Santa Barbara, California. Thank you, Sister Thank you. Arthur. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's been wonderful. We'll see you next time.